just saw like when I was in the doctor's office, I saw like it go by, like there was a shooting and then somebody else posted it on Instagram. Mm. And like, if I, anytime I see anything like that, I'm just like, nope, because I don't like to see like black death porn. Um, but yeah, I, all I know is like someone got shot in the back as they were entering their vehicle. Wow. Which is like another day in America. (laughs) Sadly. Yeah. Welcome to the third episode of the What is Black podcast, the podcast where we break down what it means to be a black creative in an attempt to defy the myth of a black monolith and have dope conversations with each other in the process. At the time of this recording, we have two of the most frightening holidays of the year of our Dark Lord 2020 coming up, Halloween and Election Day. I, for one, am more afraid of the latter than the prior. At least on Halloween, the monsters are out there on display in masks. I guess you can tell who the true monsters are by their lawn signs, but at least on Halloween, you get sexy monsters. Ain't nothing sexy about a lawn sign. Some of these houses have so many lawn signs, I wouldn't hold you if you thought that they were Halloween decorations. I bet in 10 years, we'll replace the haunted trap house with the haunted Trump house, and all the kids will be scared to go up and ask for candy with a side of fake COVID-19 vaccine. They might lock your ass up if you're a black or brown kid. In fact, that might even be part of the decorations. Caged Mexicans on the lawn, black people with knees on their necks, said lawn surrounded by a wall, fucking tiny hands crawling through the lawn coming to grope you, all the ghosts in sheets rocking red MAGA hats, I'm legit getting chills just imagining it. I don't even watch horror movies anymore, and horror is my favorite genre. I just watch news clips on YouTube if I want to scare the shit out of myself. There's a weird fucking thing in the air. This is a weird fucking time we're living in. This Halloween might be the first Halloween where shit is scarier with the mask off. And the spooky hours have been extended to October 31st through November 2nd. Spirit Halloween and people that print lawn signs must be doing numbers. What's up, everybody? This is Jason McCoy, the Negro you love to see grow. And I'm sitting here with Quincy Ledbetter. Say hello to the people, Quincy. What's up? Happy to be here. Cool, cool. So why don't you, uh, before we get into the thick of things, why don't you tell us a little bit about what it is that you do? Uh, I do a lot. I am um, a writer, director, musician, um, kind of a renaissance filmmaker. I have my hands in just about everything that has to do with filmmaking. I um, you know, write, direct, I shoot, DP, edit, do some production. Um, also a musician. I play a lot of instruments and have a home recording studio. I release music, solo music. I do music for other people. I score my films. I'm also a photographer. I do a bunch of stuff, man. I do a lot of things. Yeah, I went to your website and you definitely, like, your resume is thick. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, I stay busy. Yeah, you do. So, uh, first question I would like to ask you, um, as a black artist, and it's just a, you know, a small question, 
is why. Wow. That's heavy. It's heavy. It's heavy. It's a heavy, heavy question. Um, why for me, the why for me is like, I, it's a compulsion that I've had to like make things and share them. You know, um, I think about the inspiration and, that I get from other people's art and other people's music and films and the, their self-expression. I think of the, the way that I'm moved by that. And I just have a compulsion to like, try to mimic that feeling for other people. If that makes sense. Like I just, I want the way I feel when I listen to Radiohead, I want everyone to feel that way. Mm-hmm. You know, the way I felt when I watched um, Moonlight for the first time or do the right thing for the first time or a Kurosawa film for the first time. I want everyone to feel that, you know, and I can do a lot of stuff and, you know, using my talents to, with the intention of giving people that feeling or making something that just blows everyone away to the point where they want to make something is why I, is the foundation of why I do anything. Yeah. Cause like, like just looking at your work, it's very like experiential. Um, Mm. it's any, like from whether it's the shorts, like whether it's your shorts or whether it's the, like the music that you make, it's like, you're not just listening to something you're you're experiencing it it feels like thanks Um, man yeah Yeah, no doubt and it's so it's also just like like wild atmospheric because like i feel Mm. like um in like a moment like or trapped in a moment that's in another moment you know Mm -hmm. so it's just like that double layer of just like whoa i'm almost like a voyeur in something that's going on like and it's going on around me but at this end i'm kind of a part of it but like yeah i'm not interacting with anything i'm just there watching or listening to it yeah that's and that's that's exactly it means a lot that for to hear you say that because that's exactly what i'm trying to do you know i don't sit down like how can i make people feel like they're inside of my things you know right. but like i i definitely like when i listen to things that are good, but don't move me that much is because I don't feel like I'm a part of it, you mm-hmm. know? Um, or it feels like it's this other thing that's happening and I've seen it before or I've heard it before. And when I'm, and I, I, I sit down with the intention of, well, when I do something, I want it to feel, I want it to, I want people to feel it. You know what I mean? Right. Um, and I want it to feel different or unique in some way, even though it's inspired by a lot of things. Yeah. Okay, so why don't we just uh, talk about, like, what does inspire you? What keeps you going? Or, like, what is that initial, what sparks that initial thing that lights the stick of dynamite? I feel like when I watch something that feels true, and I'm not talking about nonfiction, I I mean, like, something that feels like freedom, you know? Mm. Um, Like, when I watch something or hear something and I can tell or I get the impression that the person or the people behind this had no supervision, <laughs> you know, <laughs> they, you know, it, it's kind of like they were let loose and able to do whatever they wanted to do. I'm really, really inspired by that. And when things get really crazy, like what I think of Rick and Morty, like Rick mm. and Morty is really inspiring to me because really? like it is so out there. It is so wild that I feel like the craziest and best idea wins. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. When it comes to Rick and Morty and like 
there's an episode of Rick and Morty called Pickle Rick that goes so far off the rails, you know, but it's still in and of itself, it has an identity. You know what I mean? Like it's very true to what it is, you know, and that I get really inspired by that. And I mentioned Radiohead before, like when I listen to Radiohead, I hear freedom. When I listen to the Beatles, especially the Beatles late stuff, I hear freedom. I hear Mm -hmm. like, we wanted to do this and we did it, period. Yeah. Once, you know what I mean? Like, so, like, after they started experimenting with, like, drugs, allegedly, exactly. that's when, yeah. and, like, mind altering, yeah. like, you get the yellow submarine and all that. Yeah. Yeah. I am the Eggman. I am the Walrus Cuckoo Kachu. was like, yep. what? You know? <laughs> it's like, huh? But it's dope. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I like, I did. Sorry, go on. Yeah, I would just say it feels, it feels like they, they were, it feels like freedom. It feels like they were free to do whatever they wanted to do and they did it and they shared it. And that's what I, that's where, that's where I'm trying to get to. Mm. So would you say like, cause you just talked about like freedom and how like that's important, especially like when you're as for your inspiration, especially like listening to Radiohead and watching a pickle mad scientist put yeah. rat parts onto his body and become yeah. like a rat cyborg hybrid. Um, so like on the flip, on the flip side of that, almost like, what do you think as as a black artist and you could speak to yourself or like generally like what do you think it is that like kind of holds more black people black artists back or you know or y- yourself back if you want to just like keep it personal um however whatever scope you'd like to address if you want to address both yeah. that's cool too but like what holds us back like within and without um i'm i think I'm going to tackle both because I feel like it's the same for me personally. And, you know, my assessment, my opinion of like what's holding us back as a people. Um, I think it's expectation. expectation. I think that for, for me as an individual, I wonder if my art is black enough, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Because I have this, like this, this, preconceived notion of what blackness is even though like at my heart i believe that blackness can't be defined because we are pluralistic just like everyone else you know what i mean so it's like what is blackness it's like blackness is everything literally it's everything you know so it's like i know that and i believe that but there are times when i'm creating and i get tripped up and i look at people who I really admire, who make like the blackest shit out. You know what right, I mean? Like, right. I'm black, y'all, and I'm black, y'all, and I'm, I'm black, 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 and I'm black, y'all. You know? I see that stuff and I'm like, damn, I'm black too. Should I be doing that? You know? <laughs> and it feels disingenuous, but like, and then I make some weird little thing or I make, you know, my music is in hip hop and R&B. But when people ask, when people find out I make music, they're like, oh, what kind of music do you make? And I'd say, oh, I make like, you know, cinematic, like rock, experimental stuff. And they kind of over their heads because, you know, it's like, but, but you're black though. Yeah. You know, why so, don't you spin these, spin these raps, you know? So is that from um, like both sides or rather I shouldn't say both sides because they're not re- necessarily opposed, but is that from like mm-hmm. black audiences and white audiences and yes. other POC audiences? So it's like, yes. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah. And that that's a perfect segue into what I think is holding us back as a people. I feel like the societal sort of like expectations are, I mean, they're conceived by the oppressor, you know, to mm-hmm. make us believe that we're just one thing. And 
we've been indoctrinated with that mentality for so long that it's hard to shake out of it. So when we make things, I feel like, and I'm not speaking in generalities here, but like, I feel like sometimes when we make things, we think that we have to make a specific kind of thing Mm -hmm. and we have to be saying a specific kind of thing, a specific kind of message. Um, And we don't get our, we don't get a chance and we don't give ourselves the chance to do whatever the fuck we want. You know what I mean? And I feel like that holds us back because, you know, perfect example is soul food the film the movie soul food classic mm-hmm. movie classic right i think like after black soul, people homework <laughs> yeah exactly i think after soul food was made every black film that came out with soul food yep you know re, re, just re, re reimagined you know and it's like okay how many big mama characters can we can we have you know um how many times are we going to have a character that's the uncle that brings the white girl home? Mm-hmm. And it's like, ooh, you know, right. Uncle Charles brought home a white girl. It's like, how many times are we going to tell that story? Now, that being said, we should be able to tell whatever story we want, you know, as long as it's true. And right. we're doing so from a place of like freedom and expression, as opposed to what does, what, what do people expect from me, you know? And I feel like there are black creatives that kind of are, have found success in being one type of thing. And white people don't do this to, to each other. And that's a tenet of white privilege because white people are raised knowing that they can be anything. Yeah. You know what I mean? But when black people see another black person successful at doing one thing, we think, and again, I don't want to generalize, but a lot, of t- a lot of times we think, oh, I have to do that thing if I want to reach that level of, level of success. And okay. I think that can hem us up because we're only operating at like 3% of our capability. Yeah. Yeah. It's why, and I often think about that because it's just like, like I, I'm even hesitant to say this, but like, I don't do, I don't do art. I don't create art or do things that are like quote unquote black like mm. the shit that I do is just, it's crazy. It's just like, it comes from my negative self. And mm. by that, I mean, it comes from like all my doubt and like um my feelings of like insecurity and mm. just like my feelings of not being enough. Like I make art from that and try to make things like, you know, that represent like my whole experience and try to explain mm. that through my art. So that's not necessarily like always like naked women with afros. Right, <laughs> you know, you you feel me? Yeah. So like, yeah. it's not always that. It's all. It's like sometimes it's just like like a glitchy television screen. Yeah, that like I'll like you know either like do digitally or hand paint or just like an image that's just like wild distorted, and mm-hmm. it's like people don't get it. And I feel that if I were a white artist, people would just be like, "Oh shit, that's dope." But like as a black artist, they're just like, "Where's the naked chick with afro?" You know, right. And I know exactly what you're saying. Yeah. And like, I try to so like, I try to like, you know, reconcile that in my head without letting that hold me back. Cause mm-hmm. I'm going to make whatever the fuck I want to make. You know? Right. Like nothing's yeah. going to stop me from doing that. But at the same time, it's just like, I know that it's um, hindering a certain segment of an audience from like, access to my art. Yeah. And yeah. whether that comes from like, you know, the privilege, like my, pri- my education privilege, like, you know, being able to, go to university and graduate with a degree mm-hmm. and then travel like, you know, 
all over the world and come back and be like have all this these sources of inspiration from like all these different cultures that I've had a chance to experience like you know I know there's a privilege in that but at the yeah. same time it's just like ah, so the so the fuck what <laughs> like I want right. to make whatever yeah. I want to make you know yeah, it's just I like, just want to express yeah and and also it's like we it's not just society and you know external forces that do this to us sometimes we do it to ourselves yeah you absolutely. know so like we'll make something that has because the thing the thing about you know being a, a person of color in this country is like everything by default everything that we do is through the lens of being a person of color because like that's literally the only lens that we've ever seen through right so like in creating art whatever it is it has it's some some part of your you and your identity is like embedded into it and i feel like we forget that so like when we present our art if it doesn't have like overt like this is about police brutality in the hood you know right. what i mean then people are like well why aren't you saying something about this right. why aren't you saying something about this, like this thing that's hurting your community it's like well i don't have to because right. it's in it's in there by default you right. know um, even like the, the, the defiance in choosing to not talk about that stuff is in and of itself an expression of, I'm going to talk about anything else because I'm more than just that, you know? Um, mm. but again, at the same time, we should be able to do whatever we want. Yeah. You know? it's, just, <laughs> it's like a weird balance that we all have to walk. Yeah. And like what you just said reminded me, like I was doing like years ago, I was working on this series of um, illustrations uh, about muses and it was inspired by seeing a painting. Don't ask me the name of the painter because like I'm terrible remembering things like yeah. that. But it was a painter that had like the, the nine muses. So mm. I wanted to do my own take on the nine muses and then I was going to expand the series further. And just do like uh, find like muse characters throughout like artistic history and di from different mm -hmm. cultures, taking cultures from like um, like countries in Africa, countries in Asia, mm -hmm. etc. And I started with the nine muses because that's what inspired the whole thing. So I did yeah. that, and I had this person critique me that wasn't and it wasn't constructive. They say like, "Yeah, but why didn't you make them black?" And I'm mm. just like, "Yeah, <laughs> I, I hear you." And it's because I'm going to make black ones later. <laughs> like, mm -hmm. if you just yeah. had the patience and waited for the whole series to play out, yeah, yeah, yeah. you'd see where it was going. But it's that immediacy that everybody wants. And I think it's only gotten worse through time because of, like, you know, our access to everything yeah. on our phones, a device in our pocket, that, like, everybody wants that thing, like, right now. It's just, like, make that shit black right now. Yeah, um, exactly. And then, like, internally, I'm just, like, well, damn, why didn't I start with like, you know, just like the nine, like why didn't, why didn't I start with making them black, you know? Mm -hmm. So it's just like that struggle kind of lending to what you're yeah. saying. Like there's that struggle of just like, I want to do what I want to do, but I also kind of want to make sure that I'm being true to my, me and my blackness that is a part of me. So it's like mm -hmm. that weird balance that we have to yeah. strike. And I feel that like, you know, it's it's a thing that, like you said, like our, our white counterparts don't necessarily have to to deal with. Yeah, they don't. They just get to do whatever they want, even when they're being us. Yeah, they get to do it. They get to do it. You know, <laughs> I say that all the time because yep. I, I love talking about this stuff. And like, white people can do whatever they want 
whenever they want, however they want, even when they're telling our story or acting as if they're part of our culture, they're just allowed. Yep. You know what I mean? And it's like, bravo, bravo, Trevor, bravo. You know, it's like, <laughs> it's like, you know, it's, it, and it's, and whereas like when we try to do anything, it's like, well, why, you know, this isn't black enough. And it's coming from, it's coming from everywhere. You know, this isn't black enough. And yeah. some of it's in our head because we're worried that like, well, I'm black and I have this platform. I have this opportunity to like, you know, share something. Should I be sharing something that affirms my blackness? Mm. It's interesting. Cause like, um, I'm doing, I'm working on a short film right now. That's about a traumatic event that happened in my life mm-hmm. based on race. So, and in doing it, I'm like, you know, this is like the blackest thing I've done ever. Aside from my music, my music is very black, Afrocentric mm-hmm. uh, in, in subject matter. Mm-hmm. Um, but like the uh, the short is like the most, it's, it's a true story. And it's something that happened to me. It's like so a racist act that happened to me when I was a child. And in doing it, I was like nervous because I was like, yo, this is, am I doing this right? You know, whereas like, and I talked to another creator about it and they were like, well, this kind of like perpetuates the, the assumption that all black people are victims. And I'm mm. like, yo, like, but this happened to me and I should be allowed to share. I should be allowed to share my story. Right. You know, I should be allowed to do it without worrying about like, but am I perpetuating this narrative that all we're, we're all victims? And I'm like, white people don't have to think about that shit. Right. You Absolutely. Know? They just do things and, you know, yeah. And speaking of white people not having to think about certain things, uh, we'll pause for a commercial break and be right back. Right. All right. Welcome back, everybody. So we left off. We started kind of sort of to touch on your shorts. And like of all your shorts, there was this one that really struck me, uh, The Owl of Minerva. Mm. Um, it was a beautiful short combining mm-hmm. performance, music, and dance to create this atmospheric world within the world, capturing moments within moments and outside of moments too, of just saying, all right, fuck it, I'm out. Mm-hmm. So you, correct me if I'm wrong, but did you work on that with your partner? Yes, yes, my wife Yuki is also my producer. Okay, so... Yeah. Tell us about how it is working with your partner and what role do they play, generally speaking, and with this particular project in your creativity slash your process? Yeah, uh, good question. Um, there's a stigma about working with your significant other uh, about like, you know, it'll hurt the relationship or hurt the marriage. I, I can't think of anyone better to work with um, because aside from, I mean, she's, she knows me better than anybody. You know, so and she she knows what I'm capable of and she knows what I and she knows the areas where I have to grow, you know. So like when I come to her with an idea like, yo, I want to do this, she'll be like, all right, we can do that. Or, hey, where is the money going to come from to do this? You know, Um, and she is also good at like if I'm underestimating myself, which I do Mm. all the time, all the time she'll be like, no, you can do that. You know, all you have to do is this, 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 and this. And it's, she's an amazing partner to have, uh, you know, spiritually and creatively and professionally. 
Um, and the way it usually works is, so with Al of Minerva specifically, um, my wife is really in tune with like the jazz scene here mm-hmm. in New York. Um, specifically with like the Japanese jazz artists because she's Japanese mm-hmm. and she's really into jazz. She goes to all the shows. She knows all the people. Um, and this uh, Japanese artist, the, the gentleman who you know composed that music in the short, uh, came to her and was like, yo, I want to do a video, um, but I don't want to just do a regular music video. And Quincy's really talented at narrative. So they, he gave me full reign to just like come up with an idea for, you know, the story and the direction and everything. And, you know, she, I came up with an idea, you know, workshopped it with her, with Yuki, mm-hmm. um, figured out what we could do, what we couldn't do. She worked out all the budget. She, you know, communicated with the artists and all that stuff. And I just got to play, you know, I just got to show up and do my thing. Um, she set up auditions. We found a dancer um, and we just got it done. We shot, shot it in two days, um, and, well, a day and a half, shot it in, in a day and a half in uh, New York. And usually when I do my shorts, it's just me and Yuki. Like mm. there's no crew because, you know, I do everything and I shoot and I do all that stuff. And it's usually her working the lighting and the, holding the boom mic and all that stuff. And right. just kind of like AC as well as PA and all that stuff. Um, so there's a picture of us on, on set doing that short. And it's literally just like me on the ground with the camera shooting and her behind me, just like, you know, just kind of like just having my back, you know? Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's, that's how we work together with like big projects and small ones. You know? and it's amazing. Cause like people don't see the behind the scenes, like, mm-hmm. the, like the, where the, like person holding the camera has to lay down in like dog shit sometimes to get like yeah. the right, like the perfect yeah. angle, you know, the angle. It's just like it's, it's crazy because like in shooting that video, I had to kind of dance with the dancer because like mm, it was yeah. the dance freestyle that was like I mean he rehearsed it a little bit, but like it was unchoreographed. He just like moved around to feel the feel to get the feel of the music. Right. So when he was moving, that was all improvised. Like, I had no idea where he was going to go, mm. you know, so I was just kind of following him. So if you watch the video of me shooting the video, I'm just kind of, like, gliding around, kind of like, you know? Right. It was it was so much fun. It was yeah, so you, fun. So you were his dance that. partner uh, yeah. in that. But you didn't have any, you had no knowledge yeah. of where to go next or what yeah. next, what the next step was. Exactly. So it's the, that video is, especially the dance piece, mm-hmm. um, is just a series of spontaneous moments. Mm-hmm. And I think that that helped the piece a lot because it was about freedom and about making a spontaneous decision, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it really helped the spirit of the piece. Yeah, it was I dope. Think. Like, I really like, enjoyed that. And like, I mean, like, um, both, like all of your work pretty much, I was just like, oh, this is like, I dig it. But like, when I watched that one, I was just like, not really dig this one. Like, yeah, thank you. I, that that feeling of just like saying, fuck it, I'm going on a trip. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And that's, that's, that's actually, like, based on, I mean, my decision to, I, I grew up in Virginia, and my decision to move to New York was like that. Right. Like, I just decided, I had a cushiony job, working for a government contractor at the Department of Justice and all mm. this stuff, you know, and my path was kind of set, but that scared me. Like, I knew what the next 15 years looked like right. from that point forward. And I just decided I was going to quit and leave. And I, six months later, I was gone. Yeah, I mean, know? 
Because like what you're doing now is quite the departure from yeah. <laughs> government work. Yeah, <laughs> quite yeah. the departure. <laughs> so, Long road to get here, though. Uh, so I want to like touch because you kind of sort of brought it up, uh, like you you broached it, but like this kind of like self doubt or uh, some may say like this imposter syndrome, mm-hmm. and like you know the other negative things that coming with that comes with being a creative, but when you stack on top of that being a black creative, I feel like it quadruples like that pressure that we put on ourselves and it increases the like self doubt by just as much, so. Can you like talk about like imposter syndrome or those feelings that you're not enough, whether it be black enough, human enough, creative enough? Like, how do you perceive that? Uh, I perceive it like I try to personify it as this entity I call the gray hand. And it's a gray hand that kind of just like sits on my shoulder and it always like pulls me back or weighs me down. Um, Mm -hmm. And it's just I know it's there, but I find power in knowing that it's there because now mm-hmm. I can, I see it, I've named it and I can figure out ways to communicate with it and ultimately deal with it. Um, and that is what I consider like my negative self. The gray hand yeah. is my negative self. I wrote an article about it for a local um, paper here called public source. Uh, mm-hmm. So I want to know how you perceive your negative self. Um, that's a really good question. And I have, battled and struggled with that all my entire life. Um, the feeling of not being good enough, black enough, human enough, etc., is perpetual. It's there. I don't think it's going anywhere. Um, and kind of coming to, I don't want to say come to peace because there's no peace in like thinking that you're not good enough, but kind of accepting that it's not going anywhere and using it to my advantage Um, because two things happen. First is I I try to approach it with humility. Mm. So like I've met people who think, who have no imposter syndrome, like Mm. they're insufferable. You know what I'm saying? Like like, I can't stand those motherfuckers. Right. (laughs) These people who think they're the best at what they do, they're not. Because who's the best at what they do? Right. You know what I mean? So it's like, I kind of hope I never think I'm the best because then I'm always pushed to grow. You know what I mean? Right. So I try to, uh, part of me tries to think of it that way when it's not so bad. Mm. But when it gets really bad, like, yo, I'm not going to do this. I, I Or, yo, I can't do this. I have trained my brain to break things down into two decisions, like, I'm either going to do it or I'm going to not do it. You know what I mean? So like if I get an opportunity, like shoot my feature, like I I got an opportunity to shoot a feature last year Mm. and I was really scared. I was like, they've made a terrible mistake. Like I'm not ready for this. I'm not good enough. Like all those thoughts came in my head and like, what if I screw up? My career is over, which is like Mm. silly talk, you know? But then I thought, okay, I'm either going to, do this or I'm going to not do it. And not doing it isn't an option. So all right, let's do it. You know? And I do that every day. Like right before getting on this call to do this interview, I'm like designing a poster mm. for for the film. And I don't design film posters, but mm. there's no one else to do it. So I'm either going to do it or I'm going to not do it. 
I'm either going to do it or there will be no poster. Right. And yeah. there being no poster is not an option. So let's get to work. You know? Yeah. Um, I do that every day with every job, big or small. And it's the only, it's one of the only, it's one of the key factors to getting me as far as I've gotten. And I know it's going to be a key factor in getting me even further. Yeah. All right. Yeah. That's strong. Cause it's <laughs> just like, how do you deal with something that's like almost undealable? Like you, like you yeah, can't, you yeah. can't bargain with it. You know, it's just like, you can't offer it something. There's no bartering. Yeah. It's just like, that's just, just going to be there to be like, say nah you can't do that son yeah and yeah. then all you all you can do is just put your head down and say like fuck it, i'm gonna do it and just like rush through it yeah it's, yeah it's especially true for writing right like writing scripts and stuff like writing is a debilitating experience it can it can be mm-hmm. and i feel like anytime you hit the slightest hump it's like i'm a fraud I'm a terrible, this is complete drivel. What am I doing? What am I even saying? And you, you stop and you're like, I'm either going to write this script or I'm going to not. Right. And if I choose to not, then I'm not the thing that I am. So I'm just going to do it. And then you just do it, you know? Yeah. I think <laughs> a large part of being a creative and especially a black creative is saying fuck it. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Like yeah. I should get that tattooed on like my eyelids, <laughs> my hands, like everywhere. Yeah. I go. Just like fuck it. To that point, my, my Yuki brought up an interesting point a few a couple of weeks ago. Um, we were looking at um, this artist's work. I forget the artist's name, but like it's a black artist, and it was collage art. Mm. And she noticed that a lot of a lot of black artists utilize like collage, collage, like they pull elements mm. from external, external things. Mm-hmm. And she was like, wow, I wonder why that is. Cause you know, uh, why, you know, I don't see, I see, I see a lot of artists doing that, but mostly black artists. Mm. And I said, it probably comes from lack of resources mm. and just the need to do it. Like we have, we have historically had less, at, at our disposal so we pull from everywhere else and you can see that in music like hip-hop started with like sampling right yeah. you know chopping chopping something up looping it now that that's our track now right you know um and it spills over into our art it's how i learned how to be a filmmaker like mm-hmm. i didn't have the resources to go to film school so okay what do i have i have youtube and i have google i'll just learn how to make films there right you know I'm I'm learning. I just two days ago I decided I'm going to learn how to do 3D modeling because I'm tired of like needing 3D models made, and I don't want to have to pay thousands and thousands of dollars because who knows when my next check is going to come. Right. I'm just going to learn it. So I downloaded Blender, and there are a whole bunch of tutorials, and I'm just going to learn it that way. You know. Yeah. Um, and I think that spirit, and my, Yuki and I talk about the POC spirit because mm-hmm. like there's a it's like what you said, like, fuck it. Yeah. Like, no one's going to stop me from doing this. So let's just start doing it and we'll figure it out, you know? Yeah, I think that's, like, it's, I think it's, like, a built into the, like, black DNA. Mm-hmm. That Absolutely. ingenuity under pressure. It's yes. just, like, 
having to like make things out of virtually nothing, you know? Yeah. Cause like, even like now that you bring it up, it's just like, shit, a lot of my art's collage too. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Cause like, and I'll like, even if it's just all like, I'm not using any type of out, I'm not using any outside assets. I'm mm-hmm. still like borrowing different techniques from different artists mm-hmm. to put something together. And like, I'm also like self-taught. So mm-hmm. there's definitely something to that, just like um, like the stick-to-itiveness, but a stick-to-itiveness that comes from having nothing and having to like reach out for like whatever resources are available yeah. and making like a diamond out of coal. Yeah. There's a period where like Basquiat was like, he didn't have canvas and so he was getting like abandoned doors from the street and mm-hmm. painting on those. Right. You know what I mean? Like anything he can find on the street, he paints on it. You know? Right. And it's not, it's not exclusively like a, like a black thing, but it's like, it's very prevalent amongst like, like you said, Mm -hmm. and like Yuki said, like it's uh, very prevalent amongst like black artists. Yeah. Yeah. It's a beautiful thing. Yeah. And speaking of more beautiful things, do you make short films coming out with a feature? You make this like beautiful very atmospheric music this is a two-part question i wanted to know how much does the technology slash apparatus play a role in your creativity Mm. that's Um, the first part to answer that it plays a i'm gonna say a significant role but it, it plays a significant role and an insignificant role because like I only know about the apparatus if it's there mm-hmm. or if I find it. Like when I didn't have all my gear or whatever, like if I didn't have like, I, I have my own cameras, my own lenses, lights, guitars. I have like a workstation over here that I record where I record all my stuff and I edit my films. If I didn't have all that stuff, I would find another way. You know what I mean? So like, and whatever that apparatus is, that would be it. Mm. So like the apparatus so in that regard, it doesn't, it doesn't mean anything. I'd still be doing it. Right. But when I discover that there's something and I work towards getting it, 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 ele- I, I can't front, it elevates things, mm. you know, mm-hmm. like with my music, especially like finding a new, a new patch of VSTs, you know, virtual instruments, mm-hmm. like elevates my sound. It just does, you know? Um, whereas before I thought like what I had was like, yo, this is it. I'm never going to sound better than this. And then I discover some other group of VSTs and I, I, you know, download those and I add the plugins and I start playing those. I'm like, yo, when I first started making films, I was working on a Canon XHA1 and everyone can Google that. It's like a broadcast camera. And at the time I thought like, this is it. Like, my stuff looks professional now, mm. but now I have a, a Blackmagic Pocket Cinema Camera 4K, and it blows it out of the water. The iPhone blows it, my first camera out of the water, you know. Right. And when I got another the cam, when I got another camera after that first camera, I was like, now this is it. Now this, it, it just elevates things. Mm. Um, so people say that the apparatus doesn't matter. I think it does, but. Not having an apparatus should not stop you from doing doing your thing. Right. If it has to get out, it has to get out. 
Like, exactly. I mean, demons have to be exercised. So yes. <laughs> yes. that's a good way to put it. Yeah. yeah. So the second part is um, when you're creating, whether it be movies, whether it be music, uh, whether it's or writing, do you have access to two different sides of your creative brain when doing one project versus the other, or is there overlap when approaching each type of project? Uh, I'm not sure I know what you mean. Like, to, how, how do you mean? So, like, um, so music is different uh-huh. from film. Yes. Film is different from writing. Mm-hmm. So when you have to, say, like, work on a film project versus when you have to work on a music project, does mm-hmm. it come from the same source, like, or the same part of your brain, or do you have to like flip a switch and say like, all right, I have to get out of my music brain and go into my film brain? Or is it all just one big brain? Usually it's one big brain. Usually it's one big thing. It all comes from the same place. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just a different medium. Uh, and also I, I overlap a lot. Like, like I school, except for, you know, commission piece like Owl of Minerva. I didn't make the music for that because mm-hmm. uh, the musician commissioned me to do the film. But aside from situations like that, I score all my shorts. I scored my feature, you know, mm. I wrote my feature. I write and direct everything. So like there's overlap. And as far as writing, when I'm writing, I'm thinking about like music. And sometimes I'll even compose, you know, demos of the score while I'm writing the script and then I'll listen to those demos while I'm writing. You know, I do that sometimes. So mm-hmm. it's, it's all from the same same place most of the time. The only time when it's different is there are some times when I'm working on a piece that's like a film, for example, and I will say, okay, now I have to do the score for this thing. And I'll do the edit first, and then I'll just watch the edit while in while in music mode and I'll like compose music while watching the edit. You know, there are some parts of the score for the feature that I did that way. Like we were editing and I'd take exports of certain scenes home and I, I'd switch to music mode and I'd score mm. while watching it. Okay. Um, I did a short, short film called three nights adrift. That's kind of like a silent film just to music. Mm-hmm. I did that that way. Like I did the edit first and then I did the music, you know, and I, it felt very separate. Um, but most of the time, it's all from the same place. Yeah. You know? um, so, and, it, it, and that's why I like film so much, because film implements all of those things. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Because film is visual, but it's also sound. And it's also feeling. And it's also writing. It's, it's everything. Right. You know? Yeah, and there's so many moving parts for making a film, okay. even if it's a short, um, even if it's just like like two people behind the scenes, it's still like oh, a yeah. bunch of moving parts. And it's a lot of those moving parts that people don't see. And yeah. I feel like it affects like the appreciation. Once you people you just go and see a film and you're just like, Oh man, whatever. It was cool, I guess. Yeah. But then when you see the work that goes into that, like that Listen. six minutes took like <laughs> Three days, four three days, days, a week to make Weeks. six minutes. I think, I think if people knew how impossible it is to make a film, mm. and it is impossible, it's 
It's a miracle that any film gets made. Mm. The worst movie you've ever seen took so much, so much dedication from so many people. Like, I, I, I have this, I feel squeamish about film criticism because I know it goes into making a film. Mm. And the people who are professional film critics, most of them also know what goes into making a film. And I can't, I can't fathom being a human being and knowing what goes into making a film, how hard it is, the opposition that's in front of you, and then saying, this sucks, <laughs> you know? <laughs> right. I can't fathom it. I, now, that doesn't mean that you have to like everything. And if you're a film critic, writing about it, you don't have to say, you know, this is great. But I can't fathom just like shitting on a film and saying that it just doesn't resonate and this is drivel and da da da. I can't fathom bringing myself to say those things as a human being mm. that knows what went into doing it. All right. You know? This is four years of people's lives. Like, yeah. if you're a writer-director, you wrote this thing, you developed it on your own, then you hustled hard to get, like, someone to believe in it enough to give you some inordinate amount of money, and then those people come in, and then they shit all over your piece, and then you have to take notes, and then you rewrite it. And it's a tremendously emotional thing mm. to get notes on a piece that is personal to you, that you spent a year or two years writing, and people are like, man, it's not good enough, make it better, you know? Yeah. And then you do that, you go through a year of that, and then you're finally on set, and then 80 to 100 people come and are on set, you know, on like a moderately sized set. On Game of Thrones, it's, thousands, it's like a thousand people on set, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? Um, but let's say you're doing like a low budget film, let's say you have 40 people on set. Those 40 people come with like their lifetime of experience and know-how, they dedicate 15, 12 to 15 hours a day putting their know-how into making this thing. And then you make it and you, you hope to the gods that it's good, but sometimes it's not, you know what I mean? Yeah. And that doesn't take away from like the spirit in it, you know? And then for somebody who does nothing, but like, <laughs> you know, wake up, drink coffee, watch something like this, this, this didn't resonate with me. Let me tell everyone to not, not engage with this piece of art. Right. How do people even do that? You know, right. when you know what goes into it, I don't know. I mean, it's like it's like you like you know, moms knows best. Moms, they know best. It's just like if you ain't got nothing yeah. nice to say, <laughs> don't say anything. Yeah. And you can you can be a you can still critique something and be like, you know, I, I just think that there's something good about there's something good about almost everything. Yeah, you know. Um, I'm try I, I saw a movie, I, I won't say the name of the film. I saw a film yesterday that was garbage, mm. you know, to me. It's like, I can't, I, I don't even know what is, I don't even know what they're doing. Right. But there's still something good about it. Yeah. Like the fight scenes were amazing. There's some really powerful camera moves. The color was dope. Mm -hmm. The music was amazing. You know, just because the rest of it was whack to me doesn't mean that you write it off completely. I don't know. And the same can be said for, I'm sorry, I'm rambling now, but nah, like, go for the it, same man. can be said for art in general, any yes. kind of art. Because like, if you're an artist, you're, you're exhibiting a, an expression of self, mm -hmm. something that's inside of you. And if you did that to your liking, then it is good, full right. stop. 
You yeah. know what I mean? I set out to do this thing. I set out to say this and I got this out of me. And this is exactly how I wanted to be. And you choose to share it with everyone. Yeah. For me, specifically with like art, like art, art, not just film as an art, but like art that comes from a very personal place for me. And I, you know, people disagree with me. I, I talk about this all the time. I don't think anyone has a right to critique it. You know what I mean? Mm, interesting. I think that, perfect example, I wrote a, I, I, I write poetry too. Mm-hmm. And when I was living in, I grew up, I was born in the DC area and I was in like the poetry open mic scene for a time. And I did a poem about the N word, mm-hmm. right? And about, the poem is about like how it makes me uncomfortable mm-hmm. from any, in any context. And this was around, this is many years ago. I don't know if you remember, um, Al Sharpton and Jesse Jackson were like, we're laying the N-word to rest. Like they had oh, yeah. a funeral for the N-word. Yeah, a moratorium on, on it or something like that. Yeah, 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 a moratorium. And like, this was that like that week. And I go to a poetry open mic and I didn't write this poem in response to that. I just had it and I wanted to express it or whatever. Right. So I do this poem that utilizes the N-word to, to kind of get across like how bad it makes me feel. I go outside for some fresh air. This guy comes outside and it's like, yo, you need to change poem. And I'm like, huh? And he was like, we don't use that word anymore. I was like, we don't? You know what I'm saying? Like, I, I just thought it was interesting. And the thing that was crazy, I was like, yo, did you listen to the poem? The poem is about what you're talking about. Right. You know what I mean? But also, like, it's a poem and it's my, it's mine. Like, you can't tell me... You're, you're telling me how to write poetry now, you know? Right, right. This is like art, you know? He was like, don't care. You got to change your poem. And the thing is, like, another person who I respected in the, in, the, in, the, in the culture was there, and he didn't come to my defense. I was like, see, this is bullshit. Mm. This is dumb. That's the last time I performed poetry uh, mm. at no point. I was like, this is stupid. I'm doing this for me, though. You know? <laughs> yeah. No, I, I, I feel yeah. you 100%. Like, 100%. Because it's just like I was going to say, it spans like all forms of creativity where it's just mm-hmm. like, and like you can't, like, it's so difficult to like judge something if you've never walked it, like, in those shoes. Mm-hmm. And it's that's the reason, like, part of the reason why I wanted to start like this whole, like, with this part, this podcast is like, I don't care about the art that the artists produce. Like, there's mm-hmm. some people whose art I will never like. It's just like a fact. Like I'm yeah. never gonna, I'm never gonna dig it. Um, yeah. But I still want to hear from them because, like, they have a, their voice is valid. It doesn't matter mm-hmm. if I get like it doesn't matter what the fuck the art looks like to me. Like, what's yeah. more important is that they were true to themselves in making that art. And so, like, I want to talk to them about like what inspired them to make that art. Like, where does right. this like expression comes from? So, like whether I like it or not, it's almost like, I would say almost inconsequential to like, you know, the artists themselves, like that's who like I want to get yeah. to know. Cause I feel like that's the art or what you see, what you hear is only one part of it. The other part is like the person that made it, like the person or persons mm-hmm. behind the creation of it. Like that's what completes the story. It's the beginning and the end, the alpha and omega. It's just like, you need yeah. both in order to like fully appreciate something. And you can think it's shit afterwards. Like, you yeah. can still think it's shit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no question. <laughs> but 
I feel like a lot of people only focus on the what they see in front of them that like kind of mm-hmm. almost tangible if it's like painting or intangible if it's like you know film music um they only focus on that and don't think about like well what was the artist's idea or story to get to this yeah. point where they produced like this work of art so i think it's and really also, important and also the the level of i'm gonna say you know i'm not i'm not beating my chest here as an artist but like it's it's you're laying you're laying yourself bare for everyone to see i i remember talking to somebody about what we're talking about right now and i i said making and releasing art is like walking around times square buck naked mm. and, and presenting yourself to everyone like hmm? Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> right what do you think you know is it, and you, you just i don't know it and it's an, it's an extremely vulnerable thing to do yeah and for someone to be like no i just i disapprove this sucks no thank you no thank you <laughs> You know, yeah. it's, it's like the nerd. How dare you? you know? Yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah. But, but not yeah. all art is good. So, yeah, no, that, and that's the thing. It's just like, yeah, I can accept that not all art is good. I can accept yeah. that no one, not everyone's going to like whatever I fucking make, but you know what? Yeah. I made it and just don't come at me. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> all right, cool, man. It's been a pleasure talking with you. Um, I wanted to wrap things up. Like, if, do you have anything to plug? Now's your chance to get it out. Um, I uh, did a film called A Little Dreamer that should be coming out soon. Um, hopefully to streaming platforms and hopefully we, I don't, we we're trying to figure out the release strategy, but keep an eye out for that. There's an IMDb. Um, uh, check out my website for my latest work, qledbetter.com. The only social media I have is Instagram, and that's at qledbetter. Um, and yeah, I, I'm constantly putting stuff out. Uh, I con- I'm constantly putting out new music, so follow me on IG to get updates on the stuff that I release. I release stuff all the time, so cool. I won't be bored. Cool. Yeah, and we'll put links down to that in the description. Word. So everybody will have access to it. They don't have to commit it to memory. Um, and the last question before I allow you to bounce. What is black? Black is everything. It is everything and anything. Um, I think that there's no set definition of what it means to be black. Black is everywhere and it influences everything it touches everything and if you're black you can be anything and it's hard to remember that but it's important that you do sweet man couldn't have said it better myself mm-hmm. all right thank you quincy it's been a pleasure um yeah. much success continued um and hopefully like you know this thing keeps going we'll have you on again sometime yeah, same to you man thank you all right man peace out Thanks for listening to the What is Black podcast, a McCoy creative project. For more information and bullet notes that provide deeper context, check out the feel notes on whatisblackpodcast.com. Your support is always much appreciated. So if you want to toss us a few dollars to keep this going, visit ko-fi.com slash whatisblackpodcast. That's Kofi spelled K O dash fi.com slash what is black podcast if you don't have the loot that's cool 
Support us by sharing this with your people, following us on Spotify, or rating us five stars on Apple Podcasts. If you drop us five stars, we might just shout you out and answer your general questions on Black Artness. If you need to contact us, hit up whatisblackpod at gmail.com or on Instagram at whatisblackpodcast. And as Jeff Gerber said to his wife when asked why he insisted on being black, I don't insist, I accept it. Peace.